0: Hey guys, it's Ricky from Fieldcraft Survival. I'm just popping on here before this podcast to talk to you about Black Rifle Coffee. Our great friends over there. We love their coffee. We just came out with a new Endurance blend. It is amazing medium roast blend, but they also have some other awesome flavors. They have Silencer Smooth, Beyond Black. Those are just some of my favorites. I honestly just love the Silencer Smooth but you should check out uh, all of their coffee flavors that they have online. There's a coffee club. They also have some great merch as well. Um, check out their website and we have a code for you for 15% off and it, you can find them at Black Rifle Co- blackriflecoffee.com and the code is CRAFT15. Again, that is CRAFT15. Check them out. Our great friends over at Black Rifle Coffee.
1: All right, Matt, thanks for coming out. To do this podcast, I know you just did Annie Stump's podcast, but thank you for making the trip.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. It's gorgeous out. Yeah, have you ever been to Utah? I've been to like Moab and some of the national parks, but yeah. never been to like Heber City or uh, Park City or anything like that. So yeah,
1: you're in good company. This is yeah. there's good people out here. Now, I listen. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because uh, I employ fifteen to twenty officers, uh, law enforcement officers. And we teach self-protection, self-defense, law, all of these things that are important in understanding, like, hey, a self-defense scenario is the worst-case scenario, not just for the circumstances themselves, but for all the things that happen after the fact. But I also like to get officers' perspectives, and you have a very unique perspective based on your situation and circumstance. Uh, If you haven't listened to the Andy Stump podcast um, after you listen to this one, Uh, go over to the Cleared Hot podcast and give that a listen because you have a very telling story um, and you're very open and honest about that situation. But you're very public about it as well, uh, as you should be. And I've seen a lot of officers burn. uh, In fact, an officer that we're talking to his wife right now um, who's sitting in a prison right now for uh, the use of deadly force in a self-defense act that based on the politics in his particular County, now he's been charged with murder. And so they're appealing it obviously. And there, there's a whole bunch of uh, um, circumstances revolving that situation, but let's start out with you and the situation. And then we'll kind of, Pulp Fiction, it started at the beginning. Okay, yeah.
2: cool, yeah. Um, so I was a police officer in San Diego County in a small town right east of San Diego called La Mesa. Mm. Uh, so anyone familiar with the area? It's like just right outside of downtown. Small towns, like a couple up. million people? Small towns, it's like uh, 80,000 people. So oh, okay. small town for Southern California, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but you know, normal day. Uh, at the time I was at a, I was a patrol officer, part-time SWAT, SWAT officer as well. Um, and just working normal patrol patrol shift, this was, the big caveat is this was two days after the Minneapolis incident. So two days after the George Floyd incident occurred, nothing really had kicked off yet in the country uh, as far as like the social justice, defund the police stuff. It was pretty much just boiling over at that point. Um, so went out to, uh, you know, we have a lot of public transportation in, in Southern California. One of the other officers had a trainee that she wanted to take out to one of the train stations that we had there. We just contact people. Um, Basically, we're there to be seen. It's a really high crime area. Obviously, people are using the trains to get through the city in and out. Criminals don't usually use cars a lot of the times or don't have cars. Um, So I go there to help her out just to be proactive. And when I say proactive policing, it's like when a police officer is initiating a, a contact. So police officers contacting someone on the street, making a traffic stop doing something proactively versus reactively, just responding to a radio call, responding to a crime in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, Contacted a few people at the trolley station, no problem. I see a subject standing off to the side, think he's smoking. I'm like, oh, go talk to him, see what's up. Uh, Just a normal day. Have a conversation with him. He's immediately, right off the bat, just my, I guess my spidey senses, my police senses were tingling, just something isn't right here starts lying, he's agitated, he's pissed off. And, you know, people get pissed off when cops talk to them. I can understand, especially, you know, they think they're in trouble, you know, it's, but something else was going on here. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to dig down to the bottom of it, ask the guy if he has a trolley pass, he doesn't have a trolley pass. Um, I told him he was detained and that he had to provide me his ID. You know, that turns into a confrontation. He's, you know super agitated super aggressive um my whole my whole thing is i'm not trying to. i'm a i'm a cop. every cop i'm not gonna say every cop but 99.99 percent of cops nobody wants to get into a fight we all want to go home we all want to go back to our family you don't want to have to get into a fight with someone so i'm there trying to calm him down tell him he's not in trouble it's not a big deal he sits down complies then in unbeknownst to me his his friends show up behind me. They pull up in a car. They're speeding up behind me, and it just goes from zero to hundred, super chaotic, in an instant. He, Where's he, the other officer at, by the way? So there was there was two or three other officers, um, and they were all content, contacting people down by the uh, where the trolley exit on entr- entrances, like the platform area.
1: Contacts mean they were engaging. yeah, they're, they're
2: they're just chatting with yeah. citizens. And uh, there was two other officers that had somebody else that they were um, getting their ID from them. So they were probably about 30, 40 yards away. It's within eyesight, With an eyesight, a couple of the other officers knew where I was. Um, but within an instant, he stands up, pushes me. And in my mind, I'm like, this is no, now it's no longer about your ID, a ticket, whatever. So you're going to, you're going to be in, in handcuffs. And now I'm concerned about my own safety as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, It just turned into this chaotic, probably two minute uh, situation where I was trying to get him into handcuffs, get him to seated position. Um, I have a whole crowd gathering around us now as well, which is like a new thing, I think, for that police officers are dealing with, you know, in California and other metro areas. I think cops are used to being filmed. I don't have a problem with it. It's completely legal. If you want to film the police, it's within your first amendment, right? but this was different. And this is probably something to do with the timing of go- what was going on there yeah. in the world. So um, I get him into handcuffs, no, no problem, nothing's not a big deal. Um, uh, the other officers came up, ran over, helped me throw him in handcuffs. I walk him off, he's pissed off. I tell him, dude, it's a it's a misdemeanor citation, okay? push a police officer in California, it's a misdemeanor citation. I'm gonna take you back to the station and cut you a ticket, you're gonna be cut loose. You're not even going to jail, okay? but you've left me literally no choice at this point. Um, he's still pissed off the whole way, you know, whatever. Um, cut him a citation back to the station, go on without my with my day, uh, get home that night, and probably around 8 p.m., talk to my wife, get a phone call from my partner. He's like, hey dude, that thing's on Facebook. I'm like, what, what thing, what are you talking about? He's like, the thing in the trolley station. I was like, what? I, and I wasn't computing. I didn't have, I, I don't, up until two years ago, I didn't have any social media at all. Mm-hmm. It's just like not my thing, it's, it's kind of toxic. Uh, and I think a lot of police officers can get in trouble with social media, so it's just not worth it. So I click it, see it, it's got like 80,000 views within like an hour, and I'm like, holy shit, uh, what the hell's going on? Everyone in the comments is spamming my address, my phone number. Oh, wow my wife's phone number, my parents' address. Um, so it got really scary really fast. And then uh, that night, my wife and I had protesters at the house, like almost immediately.
1: <laughs> so, in front of your house. In front
2: of our house, yeah. So um, that was going into the weekend with the riots across the country, mm-hmm. um, which then they had riots and there was ended up being riots in the city that I worked as a result of this incident. There was a planned protest that weekend for downtown San Diego. And then the organizers said, hey, let's move it over to La Mesa. It's only a couple miles further east. We'll get more attention because my incident was getting a lot of media coverage. They did that, turned into a riot, turned into just complete chaos. Um, So that was that weekend. Um, I unfortunately, you know, was sitting on the sidelines. Uh, I got put on admin leave like two days later, Because it was a public incident. There was like a lot of media outcry, even though it was like the most minor incident. um, The department's like, hey, we're going to do an investigation. We're going to do whatever. We're going to, you know, it's going to be handled. We're going to be transparent about it. I'm like, okay, fine. That's totally fine. That's, uh, you know, the SOP, that's part of of the course. Um, But sitting out the day of the riots was definitely one of the hardest days of my life, having to watch that at home. and this is in
1: close proximity i assume to your house so you're it's your yeah so it's a
2: couple so i wasn't watching at home i was watching at a family member's house because we had to the next day after my incident happened our home was like no longer safe place yeah um and i told my wife i'm like hey let's i'm like it's everything's fine let's pack the bags for a couple days let's get out of here let's go to family member's house so we did that that turned into being there for like a month and a half um just because we this, the house was no longer a safe place, there was twenty four hour uh, cops sitting outside my house for two three weeks. Then they had to sit outside my parents' house. It was just chaos. Um, so
1: describe to me real quick what is the controversy around the video <laughs> that took place in the incident?
2: You know, to be quite frank, the controversy is that I'm a white police officer against and, uh, the, and the subject was, was black. Yeah, yeah, and that that was the only uh, headline. That there was, you know, and, you know, so the video that his friends posted, they posted and they used like hashtag George Floyd, police brutality. So that's why it goes viral that week. Yeah, of course. And then um the media, local media, you know, their headline was white officer, black suspect, you know, controversial arrest. And uh, his friends, of course, started the recording after he pushed me. So, you know, I get, I'm i in this pushing match with this guy, This kid. Uh, nobody understands, nobody watching the video understands what's going on or has any context of what the situation is to begin with. And then I arrest him for assaulting a peace officer. And then everyone's like, There's no assault. there he never touched you. You were the aggressor. You were the one that and I was like, Well, thirty seconds before he pushed me, it's just the the friends, of course, didn't record that. They didn't start recording until after that. Um, so that was the controversy. And then that just spiraled. Do the, you have the video? The video that he posted? Yeah. It's out there. I, I mean, it's it's like on social media. It's all over the place. Like if you Google. The video is like very wide, very widely spread. I mean, they got tens of billions of views.
1: We should, uh, Julian, we should post that for YouTube. Sure. As a segment. Can we do that? So we'll add it like right here. Okay.
2: So um, did Andy on Cleared Hot show the video? No. Andy watched the video before. Like he was pretty familiar with my case. And... Um, so he told everyone. I think he's just like, go check out the video if you want to. If you want to watch it, it's everywhere. You can yeah. watch it.
1: I'm always trying to win up Andy. So uh, he didn't put the video in. Uh,
2: let, we're going to insert the feel video free to do it. Let's yeah.
1: do it. I, I want people to have context for this, so let's insert the video here and now, and then post video. Let's uh, let's talk about the the incident itself. Was there any point of uh, where you thought in the incident this could be translated or interpreted as? Uh, excessive force?
2: No, not at all. Well, I'll put it out there for, you know, and you'll see the video. He's he's not injured whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I push him back into a seat. He's sitting down on a bench. I push him back into a seat. That's the extent of the force that I used. I, if anything, you know, every cop, every one that has military law enforcement experience tells me, like, I showed incredible restraint. I think I almost showed too much restraint, to be honest. Yeah. It, and it became dangerous for me. Yeah. Um, you know i was cognizant and aware of the scene around me at the time and you know being in a situation like that you know i let him get extremely close to me too close to me for comfort um where it became dangerous for him to strike me try to take something off my belt do something like that but at the same time i had his two friends which who were just as agitated as him behind me the last thing i wanted to do was go to the ground with somebody and give him my back to two random people that I don't, don't know who are obviously pissed. Yeah. Um, was he yeah.
1: compliant after you got him in handcuffs and started moving when he knew that he was going to jail? Was he compliant? Or uh, was he still agitated? No,
2: he was still pretty agitated. I mean, it was, it was, you know, he was probably one of the most agitated, pe- like just a verbally aggressive, uh, agitated, angry people that I've ever dealt with, unfortunately. Um, and you know, I had no clue at all, that it was ever going to be an issue, even after it became an issue. I was confident in the case law that I know, like that I that I know I'm confident in my policies and procedures, confident on how I handle myself as a police officer. I had no doubt that I did absolutely nothing wrong. So, so, so uh <laughs> you're in fear for your
1: life and your family's life because now you have protesters giving, um given your address was on Facebook showing up at your doorstep. And then you make some changes. What
2: what happens next? Yeah, so, um, we ended up selling our house because I just couldn't, in good mind, have my wife be there, be there by herself. You know. Yeah, of course. It's just it was it while was, you're on duty. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I couldn't even go to the grocery store and leave her alone. You know, without thinking to myself like is something going to happen, whatever. And then so while those that going into that weekend when the riots occurred at in the city. My house is a few, mile, few miles away and they planned a separate protest at my house. So there was like 250 people outside my house um, with a bunch of police officers and undercover officers around there. And we weren't there, obviously, but um, you know, watching it on our ring cameras and our security cameras at the house, like people protesting and chanting and doing all that stuff, getting run out by the neighbors eventually. But it was just, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking for us, for sure. So we went into that. Um, you know, I knew that there was going to be an internal investigation. But then once the riots happened, everything changed. You know, that changed a lot of things. Once there was buildings burned down and uh, the National Guard got called in, um, internally things started to chi- started to shift, you know, and I felt that pretty quickly.
1: What was the uh, first indication of uh, the case built against you? What were the first indications that hey, this wasn't what I thought it was, and you're starting to get trickled in information coming from the department.
2: You know, they kept it pretty quiet for, the, the investigation was probably the quickest police investigation, internal investigation ever. It took six weeks. Usually they take like 51 and a half weeks because they got 52 weeks. Um, but, you know, I went into, I had an internal affairs um, like statement that I had to give basically an interrogation that lasted five hours and I had my attorney with me And five hours, five hours.
1: Oh, one incident.
2: Yeah. That For lasted that two minutes. yeah. Two minutes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so I had two, two guys. So the city, when I found out the city went in and hired an outside investigation firm, that's when I knew something was changing. Yeah. Why are you going outside of the, the internal affairs guys? Why are you going to pay uh, out, They paid this firm like hundred grand. To do an investigation, it was basically like a, a a hit essentially. So I go into the room, you know, I'm going through everything again. I'm very confident in all, everything that I did. Everything, I'm, everything's on video. I have no issue. The other officers were there; they saw they stuff. Get the sho-
1: did they get the shove on video? Yeah, it's his- on my BWC. Oh, nice.
2: Yeah, he. You see him? It's off, it happens off camera, but you see his body movements, and you see him take the swipe. You see him take like take an aggressive, that's what I would call a pre assaultive step backwards. Takes like a bladed stance. Um, and the, towards the end of the investigation, the investigator said, you know, this isn't about your use of force. We believe your use of force is totally justified. This is about your honesty. And in that moment, I knew exactly where they were going. I was, I just knew what they were going to try to paint. And I I defended myself, of course. They wanted, they had questions about my honesty, about why I contacted him. um, The things that, you know, our interaction between each other um basically all subjective the, all subjective really, yeah. things like the, around the my training based on my training and was it or whether or not i knew or not that i could contact him where he was so on and so forth um it was all s- things that were subjective basically yeah. and trying to
1: paint you as a racist i'm assuming
2: the racism allegations were never brought, there was never any racism allegations really yeah they had nothing they had never yeah. had anything to stand on to, to do that but it was about you know um, me contacting him illegally, me detaining him illegally, my detention, violating his fourth amendment and things that they were insinuating about me that I purposely did that I purposely contacted someone by myself so that but they I, didn't mention race. No,
1: no. Interesting. I wonder what that angle was. Cause I'm assuming because they didn't have conclusive evidence that would have,
2: well, yeah, they're out
1: their case because they would have, it obviously would have been subjective heavily subjective yeah and and there's
2: no there would there would be zero evidence right for something like that but they could easily sidestep that and say um, oh well you contacted him by yourself you did that they concluded i did that to affect an illegal arrest that i had predetermined that i was going to go arrest this guy before i even contacted him which couldn't be farther from the truth and it's you know it's very simple it's like hey we work by ourselves all the time. I work graveyards. I'm, yeah. I'm working in a patrol car by myself for 12 hours at night, and I'm contacting guys by myself at 2 a.m. in a random car. Yeah. Why, is it a, why is it a problem at 2 p.m. in the middle of the broad daylight at a packed trolley station that I can't contact by myself? So- And nobody wants to affect the rest because they don't want to do the paperwork. <laughs> it, well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> and it's like so, but and it just, the things that they had said, you know, they were not adding up, but you know, they had, I knew the way that they were going to paint the picture was that I was a rogue police officer. I was dishonest. Um, they had said that I was dishonest in my interview, which is not true. And then they had said that in my report, how I described his assaultive behavior, the, like the, the bladed stance he took, his body language that was very aggressive, very dangerous, and very, what I would say is what we called pre-assaultive cues. Police officers are looking at your body language, how you're speaking, your tone to determine, hey, is this guy gonna try to attack me? Is he gonna try to run? Is he looking everywhere? Is he looking for a place to take off? So they said those things were a lie. And it's like, you can't, this is a joke. You know, Look at the video. This guy is one of the most like vile, He's he, the things he's saying to me, some of the most horrendous, horrific things that you could say to a person that I wouldn't say You know, behind a keyboard, let alone to their face. Um, what were some of the things that he said, you know, you, you're, you know, every, every word out of the book, I, I don't, I don't know what nef- necessarily want to, you, you can hear it on the video. Um, just, but was and, it involving race or yeah, was it, oh yeah, there was a lot of race accusations, you know, you know, a lot of homophobic stuff, a lot of just, you know, F you, whatever. I'm going to kick your ass. I'll beat your ass. You know, just this, this, some of the stuff that we hear all the time, yeah. but this was like one step above, you know, and, and the anger and the, the, just you could see he's just like it was just somebody that uh, to me didn't even appear to be like are you are you intoxicated are you under the influence of something this is not how a normal person conducts themselves with a police officer or any other person which you're
1: which in the baseline of training that you have like behavioral indications uh certain patterns of of things that you're going to look for including psychosis and suicidal tendencies you're training and the basic patrol yeah yeah so so the investigators get their information the external uh, investigators and then what happens next
2: so they make a determination that i was dishonest which in policing it's like you can do anything you can you can you can use excessive force you know and i'm not i'll be very frank like guys use excessive force and still have a job if you're dishonest it's the like it's the worst thing you can do as a police officer
1: because it is a uh, is it an ethical violation yeah, it's an ethical to vio- code?
2: well it's an ethical and you have to think a police officer needs to be held to the highest standard of yeah. you know more morality ethics um a police officer's word is usually used at a higher standard than a normal person's word it's used in court it's used in you know you testify so calling a police officer officer dishonest is like the worst thing you can do And it's a career killer so is it is
1: it is uh, it. Is it a protocol in legal determination that it's written up as such that affects your career
2: moving forward, or is it just a subjective uh, assessment? That well, yeah, it would. So, like you have your personnel file that that is in your personnel file and mm-hmm. it follows you forever.
1: It's like a general order of rubber, man. It's like a go. Exactly. Like yeah. they're they're literally stating something against your character, which hurts your promotion. Your, your yeah, boss. and
2: they're and they're stating the worst of the worst. Yeah. Um. And then so they, the city terminated me. Um, and since then it was like, okay, we're, we're in this fight, you know? So the city terminated you based
1: off of an external investigator determining that you were dishonest. Correct. With no
2: evidence. Correct. I'm assuming no evidence. There was zero evidence. This was their, their own determinations. <sighs> uh, yes. Yeah. So they're they, actually, the evidence contradicted every officer that they spoke to, you know, of course they didn't get a statement from the subject, the suspect that I arrested, they didn't contact him. Um, but they spoke to the other officers at the scene, they corroborate everything that I said or did, they corroborated his actions, which are on video. Um, so yeah, they, they pushed through the termination immediately, me and my wife were like, Okay, we're we're in this fight, like we have, I knew what we needed to do. For the first six months, it was like, we're just going to keep our head down, we're going to go fight this fight um, through the the channels of the appeal process within the city and then we kind of got it was just we were just running into a wall you know the political nature of the case made it such that um, it was impossible for us to overcome you know the internal factors because we're basically telling the people that fired me hey you can't you shouldn't fire me Um, and then was this was this legal
1: um, was this legal positioning for a suit or was this part of the
2: suit was yeah. this like a claim or a suit against so this the was like this was my i have like in there's certain states california being one of them their police officers have like a police officer bill of rights so you have um basically uh channels to appeal any type of reprimand that you're given even termination so oh, wow. i was going through like an appeal process within the city Okay. And but it's, you know, going in front of the people that fired you and telling you, hey, I want not
1: their biggest priority. No.
2: Well, no. And that's the actual the exact opposite. Right. Because they're scared of this mob coming back to the city once they find out that I'm rehired or reinstated or whatever and then burning down the city again. So, you know, rewind a little bit, you know, immediately after the riots happened and I going to how I knew things changed was the city called me and essentially offered me and my wife like a high six figure number to resign. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) I'm not resigning. Um, They called my wife into a meeting with me. They brought my wife in, which would never happen. And they tried to pull her heartstrings like, Hey, like, you know, we want to do the right thing. You guys can take this money and go, go basically go away. And she's the type of person that's like, watch out like
1: yeah she's this, standing on
2: principle she's not the one that you want to talk like you yeah. know if you were gonna get over anyone it would have been me if you bring her in you kind of just you know you know fell on your own sword there so yeah so we were both like absolutely not we're not taking any bribe because that's what it was yeah and uh we're gonna do the investigation and it was like essentially game on from that point on so through through all of 2020 we were fighting this battle internally. Then in, in 2021, the D, in January 2021, the DA came out and said they were going to prosecute me for a felony for falsifying a false police report or falsifying a police report. And that was like, that was So they went
1: from here's some money, walk away to, you know what, let's just find some stuff against them to hurt them and
2: criminally charge them. The criminal charges were something that we never thought were going to happen because... There was, like I said, there was no evidence of anything. And then again, the politics became very apparent. The DAs re- getting going up for re-election. Oh wow! Um, Southern California, California in general, politics—you know how those are kind of going. And even in San Diego, which is like a military town, long, you know, very service-based town, things are changing. You know, it's like it, it's it's gotten a little little weird in the last few years. Um, so at that moment that was when my wife was like "Enough's enough we're not keeping quiet she's like we need to we need to go full blast like social media whatever and that's when we got linked up with the gallagher's yeah. uh, and pipe hitter foundation and them being from san diego and going through what they went through which is very similar parallel a lot of parallels there um, they jumped on board to, to help us they were like one of the first foundations that jumped on board to support us give us a platform and then my wife was like my mouthpiece for a solid year. Um, I couldn't talk; I got a felony charge pending. Um, so my wife was doing the rounds anywhere we could get on uh, podcasts, local news, whatever that that would have her on, and she was just just starting a basically just this huge movement on our Instagram uh, is at Clear Officer Dagus. and. Um, Within a few months it was just it was gaining traction, it was gaining speed. And our whole goal was to change the narrative going into if we had to go to trial, to go to change the narrative because we saw what was happening around us. We saw what the media was doing, because it was just a one-sided narrative. Um, and very quickly we realized like this is gonna go to trial just because of the politics.
1: What was the specifics behind the actual charge they filed?
2: So it was for falsifying a false find of police report. Um, you know, and the DA determined, or I guess, alleged that I made false, knowingly false statements. So I purposely made false statements regarding his behavior. Like I said earlier, some of his actions that he was doing before I saw him. You know, when I thought he may have been smoking, um, and then also the reason for my stop when I told him that you know he's detained for not having a trolley. How pass. How
1: will they determine that they're false <laughs> if you wrote the statement? pre like like you weren't trying to manipulate the circumstances to get out of anything you just wrote the statement as you saw it
2: how would they determine i mean that seems kind of they're telling me that what i saw with my own two eyes didn't happen and you know so you know fast forward into we we knew just very quickly it was like here we are going in in front of politics in in front of running in front of this political train again you know we would um all we were trying to do we were trying to make as much noise on social media as possible especially locally too because yeah. people had so many questions it was like and things started to ch- shift in 2021 people you know the crime was spiking like crazy yeah. um defund the police def- wasn't the greatest idea defund the police turned into refund the police yeah. you know <laughs> um and so people's and then the same people that were scared to speak out because i think a lot of people across the country are very pro police but in 2020 they just got quiet yeah, right and they us. were scared not us so those people that were quiet in 2020 started to speak out in 2021 like just you know normal civilian people they were just like you know enough's enough um this has gotten ridiculous but you know we went every step of the way where it was like i told the you know i told my attorneys i'm like hey like we have to get them all the transcripts for everything maybe the da doesn't have everything maybe they did this like unknowingly and it turned out no they 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 were moving forward no matter what. But like, you know, for instance, the the report that the my department wrote against me for the crime was, you know, in the investigation portion, it was two sentences long. That was their investigation. Two sentences like, you know, we determined there was a finding of dishonesty. We recommend filing felony charge for
1: felony charges. Yeah. You you get um, a misdemeanor charge for assaulting a police officer in uniform in the line of duty. And you get a felony for a subjective uh, lie about falsifying uh, information on a police report that was written pre determining that there was even in a conflict or issue. Yeah. Just so you literally are writing your own witness statement of what you see because you see it. And then that's falsifying. What, what was the
2: evidence? If any, was there any? Nope. Zero evidence. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like a, uh, it was a lot of so going into and that was the thing we I was like, they don't have any evidence. They don't have anything that they can do, you know, and it kept getting pushed forward. And um,
1: I'm was assuming just, they try to get pushed forward through the the election process. And then after like, they will drop the charges, they could, Like, that's the plan. They had a plan.
2: No, but, I think their plan because they wanted to because they had they had a problem that arised very quickly. So they charged me in like January 5th or something like that of mm-hmm. 2021. And then my wife says, screw it. Like, we're good. We're getting loud. And then the Gallagher started putting out yeah. stuff. And then all these other police organizations in Southern California started putting out stuff about me. And then, like, PO, like, the other associations in Southern California and some other big name foundations were jumping on board to help me. And so, very quickly, my case, my inst- our Instagram page, the Clear Officer Degas page, started getting a lot of traction, started getting a lot of attention. And bringing out like what actually happened, and people started to take notice about it. But then the DA was like, they were stuck in a between a rock and hard place because they drop it. If they drop it, then they're the bad guys for one side, right? And if they keep moving forward, it's kind of like, well, you know, if we move forward and we let a jury decide, there's no blood on our hands. So we're doing what we have to do, um, basically, you know, to to appease a, a, a the group that wants this to happen regardless of what is right
1: so they they get to a, a point where they're in this i mean they're in a conflict now yeah. which is like we got to push forward and make an example and let the people decide which i i assume if they thought they brought the charges if they get the right jury of people that thought like them mm-hmm. then then they could make an example of this The situation what happens next
2: well, so they they also, I don't think they, they were never anticipating us to get loud, right? Yeah. They were anticipating us to roll over. They never do, yeah. And they were maybe anticipating us to p- take a plea, Hey, will you and they offered me several times, are you willing to plead to a misdemeanor, <sighs> uh, disturbing the peace or something like that? What? And I was like, no, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, that's what you want me to do. Absolutely not. Absolutely fucking not. I will never plea. I will take this to trial. I do not care. It's going all the way. This is the the hole you guys have dug. It's going all the way. And, um, you know, now coming up to the election, I think they were also because the trial didn't start until December of 2021. So, they were getting nervous that it was creeping into election time, which is now, you know, a few months away. So, we go into the trial. It was just a complete zoo, of course. You know, the trial was more about of, of course my ethnicity, the suspect's ethnicity. They brought up George Floyd more than they brought up, you know, some some other stuff. And thankfully, we had a jury that just saw right through it. know and did you have a good defense
1: case lawyer to be able to address these kind of i had
2: amazing attorneys um you know and i knew
1: hired i assume
2: yeah Yeah. i knew i had some attorneys that were appointed by my association and then the case became so big so quickly like you know there was even like two days after it happened gavin newsom the the governor of california was speaking about it you know talking about how it's like a reminds him of racism in policing or something Jeez. And um, so it became so big so fast that I knew that we needed more attorneys. So I ended up we ended up hiring other attorneys to come in because we needed a team of people to handle this case. Just because if this is a two minute incident, but the DA is going to throw unlimited resources at it. The government has a blank check. You know, they were spend they they had like two or three DAs handling it the entire year. Um, so that, you know they were spending several hundred thousand dollars, if not more, prosecuting me. Um, Getting witnesses, they had like, they had a list of like 30 witnesses, which was absurd, Um, which there wasn't even that many people there. Um, So it was just a dog and pony show. And thankfully, the jury was like, you know, absolutely not. Like this is, so I was acquitted December 10th of 2021.
1: All right. So uh, the jury acquits you on December, in December of twenty
2: twenty one. Yeah, 2021.
1: And that's post-election
2: right right after no the election hasn't happened yet so the election's this this november 22 Oh, okay yeah right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. so the, the the election for the da for the da yeah so what happens
1: after the aftermath of that i mean what what do you how do you feel personally when you're
2: acquitted from that uh it was man there's nothing we were told beforehand like going into into the into the trial like my attorneys they all told and some amazing attorneys and they told me they're like look we know you're innocent. We know this case, this case is bullshit. But if before, like months ahead of time, they're like, this is gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. Just sitting through it Ooh, for, and it was two weeks long, sitting through it, listening to what was going on, going through the agony, having to go home every day, having to come back, wake up the next morning, come back. And, and it was, there was, the room was filled with news cameras every single day. Um, so it was definitely the hardest two weeks of our lives. What was the,
1: what was the potential punishment of three
2: years in prison? (sighs) Yeah. You have to be shitting me.
1: No. So a dude assaults a police officer and he gets a misdemeanor ticket and he's out of, he, he's, he processes and he gets out that night. But if you're a police officer and they make shit up about you, you're going to potentially, and they would have given you three years. They would have been like, we're going to make an example of this dude. Three years in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my God.
2: Well, and, and to make it worse. So coming to find out, like, so I, my incident happened, uh, you know, in May of 2020, three or four months later, the same suspect gets in like a high speed vehicle pursuit with San Diego police, crashes his car, totals, foot bails, gets away. But they had multiple officers that ID'd him on scene, saw him face to face, they came really close to him. The DA refused to prosecute him for that case of course um i and they refuse to answer because they claim that they don't need to answer um why they choose or choose not to prosecute someone but you can speculate that they did not want that sub that subject to be in uh maybe like an orange jumpsuit when he testifies against me
1: did you see him in the courtroom
2: yeah he testified what a piece of shit yeah what a piece of shit all right so what what happens after this So, you know, after we got acquitted, man, we were on cloud. I mean, I came in. It's more than cloud nine. It was the happiest most. It was more. I was obviously relieved, but to have my family and friends there, everyone was bawling to have all the support that we had. um, I had so many great people from like police foundations, military guys, um, like, you know, people that became family guys that were, you know, team guys that know Eddie came to watch my. Mar- I had mar- uh, one of my best friends now is a guy. It's a Marsha guy, came to watch every day of my trial, and was bawling. This is the biggest, toughest suit I've ever seen, uh, bawling his eyes out. So it was like one of the most emotional days of our lives. And um, but that's not redemption. No. Where are we at in redemption? So yeah, my well, my redemption is this needs to be changed. I mean, I I'm fighting to get my job back, but more importantly is I, I I'm fighting to hold those accountable. That did this, yeah. Um, so
1: you got a lawsuit, an active lawsuit, yeah.
2: So that's what we've been trying to fight and going through the court process of appeals. Now we're going taking it to the court of appeals, and it's just like the wheels of justice move, but they move so slow. You know what I mean? They move so slow. Um, and we saw obviously the justice system works because it worked. You know, obviously in my favor, and I saw that you know throughout all the pain that we went through, it ended up working in our favor, even though it should have never been there. But yeah, that's the next step because i being a cop is like my it's i tell everyone it's like a vocation it's like you know if you want to be a police officer because it's it's not a it's not necessarily a great job right you know especially in 2022 it's a
1: shitty horrible job like who who the fuck wants to be a
2: cop yeah yeah so but it's i will tell you it is and i tell people all the time it's the most fun job ever and i for sure and it's has its really low points but it has it's like you will like the friends you make the camera like the Things you get to do it's just it's fun and, yeah. and you get to serve your community you get to like do something that is more than just about yourself yeah um so my goal is you know i want to be a cop that's do you want to be a I cop back about.
1: in the same county <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: n- i know i don't but um you know i i want to be you know even if i'm reinstated for one day i want to be reinstated for one day and, yeah. and then say peace out i'm out you know i'm out of here exactly um so
1: you're fighting to get your job back. Is the same DA in the same position?
2: Yeah, she is. So she's, she's unfortunately. What's her name? Summer Stefan is her name. Yeah. So she, Summer Stefan. Stefan. Yeah. All right. So she is you a, put those, her notes down below <laughs> her email down below in the notes. It's funny. She's like a, you know, she ran in 20, I think she got elected in 2018 or something like that, but she ran Republican pro law enforcement, all the law enforcement. associations in San Diego funded her campaign and right. then in 2020 the summer of 2020 she denounced her republican affiliation summer of 2020 and then is now like readjusting her you know what she's doing because you know the it's uh you know survival of the fittest i guess the writing's on the wall and so she's of placating
1: towards whatever exactly. is going to support her in her job and her salary 100%. and her role um so what is the what is the fallout if any department wants, I mean, like there's got to be fallout in that department. It's specifically yeah. what what county is this? San Diego. So this is San Diego County. You were a sheriff's uh, La Mesa police. La Mesa City Police. Yeah, correct. Where is this position of the of the city, the chief
2: of police, where, where, where the fuck is the chief at in all this? The chief resigned the day after he t- after he fired me. That was his last order of business. Did you talk to
1: him afterwards, figuring out why he did that? Because uh, it seems like that would have been obviously. I mean, if I'm a chief and I'm fucking over one of my guys, um, resigning because of the circumstances of all that, you're out because you either know you intentionally screwed over some money, or you're bowing out because you're a coward.
2: Yeah. Well, we're both. He, yeah, he bowed out because he's a coward. Um, and you would think after putting you know 35 years in law enforcement. And making it to that position and doing whatever and your last order of business you would think you'd want to, to you know do it honorably right do something honorably make make something right potentially save my life my livelihood my family uh but no he chose the other way so the the
1: day after they charged you with a felony
2: no this was the day this was back in 2020. so this so, is the day that you, yeah uh, when i was fired from the from the agency wow so the i mean the department is definitely You know, I'm still friends with a lot of guys there. The guys that are still left there, of course, because after my incident happened, there was a lot of guys that got the hell out of there, of course, as fast as possible. And and that's the same goes for a lot of cops in Southern California and San Diego. Guys are like, we're out of here. Not just because of, I mean, my incident. You know, and I was kind of became you know the scapegoat for a lot of things that happened in San Diego, but there was a lot of cops that were just fed up with what was going on in California, in in San Diego. It's like, there's no repercussions for you. There's no repercussions for the guys that are doing the bad guys. And then now we're gonna go target police officers that are trying to keep people safe.
1: I, I'm interested in why you would wanna go back, uh, whether symbolic or actually doing the job. Why? Like, why would you wanna go back and do it? Is it out of principle for you based on the circumstances? Like to be a cop? Yeah.
2: I mean, I have other things I can do. I mean, I have a college degree. I have like other things I can do, you know, it's just like, since my whole life, it's all I've wanted to do. Well, it's all I've really wanted to do. And I finally, you know, you know, I, I went to college, uh, you know, initially, you know, I went to law school for a little bit. I had a scholarship to law school. I decided, I was like, this is not for me. Very quickly, left law school um, knowing that I wanted to be a police officer. That's all I wanted to do got a corporate job for a little bit because at 23, I was like, I can't be a cop. Like, you know, I have no life experience. yeah um, And then became a police officer and it, I had never been more fulfilled in my life. You know, just personally, professionally, um, waking up every day and, and and liking what you do and knowing that like you're really making a difference. You're not just collecting a paycheck. Um, but now, I mean, our... I, I want to be a police officer again. That's and that's going to happen. But now I think our lives have changed in an unexpected way, in a positive way, because there's so many families. You know, now that like the, the Clear Officer Dagas page has become so popular and it's mostly law enforcement families that follow us. Um, all I hear is this the same thing that's happening across the country. Not to the same extent, but similar circumstances, and because it's not getting news. It's just getting swept under the rug. So it's like there's a need for advocacy. There's a need for helping other law enforcement families. There's just there's a need to bring some of these cases to the forefront. Like you were talking about that Alabama cop. Yeah. Um, that no one wants to talk about for whatever reason. Yeah.
1: And swept under the rug is like putting these guys in shackles, these guys and gals in shackles and prison prisons with actual criminals mm-hmm. while they have because it's uh, politically driven, have no day uh, to see justice through because of all the politics that are completely suppressing their cases. Yeah, And it's f- what's sickening to me is the politics that are involved with this and the political actors that continue to get away with it, especially in California. I mean, I hire five to 10 police officers out of California in different areas. Uh, CHP has a better run of reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certain specific departments, Sunnyvale, um, uh, t- uh not Turlock, but, um, uh, Modesto, mm-hmm. uh, where we have police officer friends that they, they, they work with good departments. But when you look at heavily populated metropolitan areas where they have a political, uh, a potential political lean, and then that lean determines the fate of these politicians, you have this kind of corruptness. Yeah. And it's sickening that, um, this, uh. This loser district attorney is still in her position, knowing that in her backyard are patriots of law enforcement, first responders, and and the SEAL and Navy community. It's like what the hell is going on in San Diego? I mean, uh, Jocko needs to run for freaking <laughs> whatever <laughs> because does. that's his own backyard, yeah. and it just bums me out, man. Uh, what is the timeline for you? When uh, do you have any gates or do you have any like windows? Of when this stuff's going to be reviewed, like the, the the actual suit and all this legal stuff?
2: Yeah, so we're going to be filing an appeal, another appeal. This is just for, obviously, the criminal stuff has been concluded. I was acquitted. It's do, it's done and over. Yeah, with. this that is was civil now. This is like the civil stuff. Uh, just to get my, to, for the reinstatement, for the changing of the, my personnel file, for those wrong, you know, yeah. things that that shouldn't be in there. That that really make a difference to me, truly. um You know, and so we're waiting for a date. We have to file. We're going to file an appeal the next month. And then we'll get a date set, hopefully, you know, sometime this year. I'd always tell people like follow the Instagram page, follow Clear Officer Degas. Like my wife's always posting on there. She's keeping everyone updated. We're trying to make other people aware of what else is going on across the country as well. Um, But yeah, there's just, there's such a need. And then you see, and one thing that just wasn't apparent to me being, I, you know, naive, I guess, was like these these large metro areas or somewhat large metro areas, you know, the police chiefs, they're appointed by the city council, right? They're not elected. So they're at will employees that can be fired for any any reason at any time. So they're essentially political puppets that are being told what to do by the city councils that they work for. So 100% when you have these large metro areas that are leaning... Typically, one direction, you know. Um, and in, an, in a time when everything is so divisive, the topic of police is extremely divisive, you know, it's just, it's not a safe place to, it's not a safe job. It's not a safe place to work. You know, I tell every cop that wants, everybody that wants to be a cop or even cops that are working now, it's like, just reevaluate what you're doing, reevaluate where you're working because the job is still great in certain places. There's certain still, places, yeah, for there's, sure. There's states. There's politicians that want you to do your job, that want you to be police officers, you know, Florida, Arizona. You know, look at the politics around those places where people are going to jail for crime still and, um, you know, reevaluate. And I know it's a big jump. It's such a big deal for guys to like your life is in one department. You know, it feels like the overwhelming anxiety of like, I'm going to start over somewhere else. But it's like, would you do you want to be in my position? Do you want to do and go through what my family went through? And, you know, the smart guys are the guys that are like, no, I'm out of here. And so that's why you see like a lot of guys from, you know, I know a lot of guys from San Diego, the San Diego police departments lost hundreds of people. And, you know, if that was over crime, vax mandates, whatever else they were pushing, you know, the guys are moving to Idaho, Nevada, Utah, well, Montana, of course, it's like they know it's like they're done with the large metro cities.
1: Yeah, look at their crime statistics now. San Diego is on the list of oh, exponential
2: yeah. crime every day. It's like you know Southern California, but but every major city across the country, crime has just gone. Violent crime, especially, has has skyrocketed, and it's not a coincidence that like this happened over the last two years. That the criminals didn't just start just start deciding to do more crime. It's like they're not getting prosecuted. They're not going to jail, and then you have cops that are like, "Hey, do I want to get into that?" Do I want to go stop that guy that might be up to something? You know, you're going to think twice before you do that. And then on the flip side of that, you have cops that are going to be hesitant to use force and maybe um, end up having to use more force because they didn't use enough force earlier, or they're going to get themselves or someone else hurt because they're scared.
1: What a volatile situation. What are you doing for work right now? I'm not working. Here's a challenge. How old are you right now? 31. You should go to law school. (laughs) should go to law school and change this shit for real. Like, you have a better understanding of law, a legal precedent of what happens when the wrong people are in the wrong positions and places. And and police officers really need, besides advocacy, a fucking lawyer uh, influencer slash advisor slash guidance counselor on how to navigate these kind of scenarios and maybe start like a... I, know, I like how I'm just doing this right now. but Start like a <laughs> go ahead. Plan out my future. A, like a whole entire organization of lawyers who are educated on this practice and the understanding. Whether it's the associations, whether it's the uh, uh, nonprofit, these groups that need to protect these officers, first responders, military guys that are dealing with this. Because they're what I've realized after my military career and seeing it happen in real time, not with me but with people around me is we all become political pawns that are sacrificed often for the sake of a political agenda. And we need real people who who really know how this works. And there, you obviously have been uh, at the forefront of this flame and fire, you know?
2: Yeah, there's no crash course, right? You know, there's no, and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, and especially when you're and you know, me and my wife, we had no idea what we we're getting into. So yeah, we we know, and now it's like, If anything, it's like I would love to be able to help other cops that are going through similar circumstances or just, you know, because there's a need, whether it's like whether there's cops that are going through, you know, political stuff, whether they're going through, you know, criminal things on their own or, you know, even cops that are they're fighting with cities over, you know, medical stuff. It's like that's a whole other thing. It's like because there's no VA for cops. Right. Yeah. It's like
1: and you guys see the worst of it, man. Like I've seen a lot of combat, a lot of dead people. Uh, mostly that I've killed myself. Um, but I've like seen a whole bunch of this chaos. But when you look at a police officer who sees the worst side of society, crime, children in harm's way, death and destruction behind the curtain, like nobody wants to see that. And they want to pretend like it doesn't
2: exist. Well, it's interesting. I always tell people it's like, Yeah, I mean, we're not on the, we're not. I'm not in overseas. I'm not fighting. I'm not uh, tip of the spear or anything like that. But it's it's such a dynamic job, right? And you don't think about how dynamic you need to be to be able to like, okay, I'm gonna go to the call. I'm gonna first. I'm gonna go to the DV call, domestic violence call, where there's little kids involved. Okay, then I'm gonna go to the guy that just shot himself in the head. Then I'm gonna go to the kid that the mom that's calling us that, um, wants her kid to get out of bed and go to school. And then now I have to talk to a little kid. It's like, you're doing so much different. You're, you're wearing so many different hats at so many different times and it never stops. It's like, cause you're just like, you get up, you go back home and then you got to go home, talk to your family. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to
1: pretend like it doesn't exist. Pretend like
2: It doesn't exist. Let me get a workout in. Then let me go back to work the next day and yeah. start all over again for
1: thirty years, yeah, <laughs> to get a re- good retirement. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna start a GoFundMe to send you to law school <laughs> so we can get this shit fixed for real. Um, what are all the outlets, the channels, the things that people can tune into verbatim that uh, we can reference also in the notes? Um, yeah, to help kind of a campaign for your for the, for what you're doing advocacy wise.
2: Yeah, so um, Instagram and Facebook uh, at Officer uh, If you go on and Instagram, D A. G- G-E-E-S. A- D-A-G-E-S. Yeah, D-A-G-E-S. Just one E. Um, and then there's a link in the bio on the Instagram. You can go, Pipe Hitter Foundation, the Gallagher Families Foundation is still fundraising for us. Uh, to date, we've paid $120,000 out of pocket for legal fees. Um, Nobody's picking that up for you, like no nonprofit. Are they helping? They're helping fundraise. Yeah, there's, there, we're <sighs> definitely getting help fundraising. We got a campaign
1: for that, man, guys. If you're watching this on YouTube, go down and f- donate some money. This officer who's uh, needs help paying legal bills that shouldn't be paying out of his own damn pocket. Um, and we'll leave the link to the GoFundMe and to the uh, Pipe hitter Foundation because Eddie's a good friend of ours as well. Uh, whatever it takes.
2: Yeah. So all of those, every donation, every dollar that goes to Pipe Peter Foundation through there comes back to us. Um, they've been amazing. The Gallaghers have been just amazing for us. And then um, you can follow the, the Instagram or Facebook. And like I said, my wife's always posting case updates. Um, at some point we know this is going to be, it's already become bigger than ourselves. So it's like, there's at some point it's going to change into something else. Hopefully at some point the clear officer Degas turns into maybe something else and then we can figure out, you know, what we're doing. If we're going to do advocacy, if it's going to be some type of foundation or working with other foundations. It's a Degas
1: law firm. <laughs> Degas law firm. Um, Matt, I appreciate having you on the podcast, man. Thanks, Thanks, man. thanks for sharing your story. It's appreciate important. It. And thanks for what you did and what you continue to do um, in service of others because that's what it's all about, man. And you obviously understand selfless service and you keep doing it. Uh, It's important for you to get out there and and us to spread the word, share this link, share all the information, go to the GoFundMe uh, for sending Matt to law school.
2: Let's get this done. Um, Any closing thoughts? No, I just, I would like to um, thank you for having me and uh, anyone that's watching this, anyone that, you know, is a police officer, knows a police officer, knows someone that has a family member that's a police officer, just go give them a hug. And, and, you know, it's, it's the jobs. It's a good job. They need support. They need their local support. And if you don't have politicians that agree with that, then please use your voice in November to vote out those politicians.
1: 100%. Fund the police. Yes. All right, guys. Till next time. Peace out.